The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. We've got some really good earnings that are trumped by some ugly action. Make it stop, make it stop, cries of the correction. UK rates up, euro stays steady, and who knows about the US? Some listener questions, all this, and much more on episode number 752 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. How you doing out there? These are the kinds of markets that really wear investors down, don't they? This is what ma makes people make mistakes. The times like these are those that we find that people are emotionally drained. In times like these, you're not always thinking straight. So, well, that's going to be my job today. I'm going to get you on track, in line, and with the plan that you should be following. Welcome to the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Once again, I'm Andrew Horowitz, your host, and I've been doing a lot of work over the last few weeks, research and a bit of a deep dive into our own portfolios that we run for clients. And I'm wondering, are you doing the same thing? Are you spending enough time or are you doing one of those, I am not going to look? And if that's the case, you know who you are. I'm not going to look. I don't want to see. I don't want to know. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with this. And God forbid that my portfolio is down. I'm losing money. Better off just putting my head in the sand and one day, someday in the future, I'll look. But right now, I'm just not willing to do it. And by the way, just as a point of reference, for those of you that are unsure about this, you know, we have portfolios for many people of all sizes, for those people that want to change, you don't like managing your money, the DIY approach just hasn't really been doing it for you. And a lot of people want to know, okay, Horowitz, what do I need to become a client? They ask that question all the time. So I'm just letting it out there because I got three of them right before I went and started talking today. So uh, we have portfolio strategies for as little as $10,000. So if that was a question, that was nagging at you and you're wondering, well, I don't know. I got to ask if that was nagging on you about making the next step. Well, here you go. And it's times like these that many people start to think about coming to us because we have a whole host of different strategies, mechanisms, whether it's a trading strategy that is, I would call, uh, core equities, as well as some potential hedging and uh, long short, uh, or maybe the more traditional style of asset allocation or something in between. So I am happy to work with you. All you have to do is take the first step and make contact because otherwise I don't know who you are. Now I want to talk about 
today and this week after we had a great conversation with Vitaly Katzenelson last week, and he made some really poignant points and comments, and I thought it was just a wonderful episode. But I want to talk about reality for a second. I want to talk about logic and all the things that we need to do when our emotions are running hot. Because here we are in a situation where we're seeing a lot of volatility in the markets. A lot of people are very concerned about where is the next possible leg going? Are we going to see what we saw in the beginning of the week? This incredible revival of markets or what we saw towards the end of the week, specifically how bad things were on Thursday after Facebook came out with their earnings, or should I say meta, meta, and then crashed the entire tech space. And a lot of people have a lot of concentration in technology, in the NASDAQ 100, in healthcare, more like biotech, a lot of you do because I've seen your portfolios. You send them to me to look at. So I want to possibly talk about, and it's not too late, get the conversation rolling about how to be better prepared. We're going to be picking up on that very topic so that some of these things that we talk about, you don't have to deal with in the future again. We, we kind of touched on that in the last few episodes. But I thought we would really work together and get involved with, I guess we'll call risk management. That That's really the crux of the matter. Risk management. And that in itself is a very big and broad topic, but it doesn't have to be overwhelming. Because by now already... We've seen the pain and the anxiety that has washed over us from a period of, wow, markets just go up. You know, stonks just go up. You know, we, we see David Portnoy trying to pretend to be an investor when in fact he's just a gambler. We see the, the Reddit groups coming in and charging and doing short squeezes. And I want to be a part of that. I want to own a stock that goes from seven to 700, right? It's so easy. All I have to do is push a few buttons, get a, some confetti thrown at me on an app, and there I go. I'm off to the races. And if I just buy and hold for long enough, no matter what price I pay, sometime one day in the future, I'll be very happy about it. Um, okay. There is an argument to be made that there is an incredible opportunity in equities, and I will make that market uh, my argument for you that the markets are a great place to invest for the long haul. I'll also tell you at the same time that there are a lot of times that you will be cowering under the bed somewhere, not wanting to look up, pick your head up and look outside at what's going on because things are ugly, because corrections are part of the process. There's no question about that. I've been doing this for a long time. Corrections are always going to be a part of the cycle. And on that note, let me just take a moment to segue into another part of a cycle that we think every once in a while 
has been solved, and that is the peak to trough economic cycle that goes on time and time again. Every time we think that we are in a situation where we have just conquered that and that we're no longer going to have recessions and that we're no longer going to go into bad times, lo and behold, those are the times that we need to stop and look around and say, oh, oh, yeah. We are in a cyclical style because we have people that are involved. We have people that are buying things and sometimes get too excited and go over the top and buy to a point of pushing up price to a level that make it absurdly costly and then they drop. Or we have people involved that are selling and they just need to get out at any price. And they don't care how about how much money they're going to lose or not. And they're just going to get out. Remember, we had oil at negative $40 per barrel. What was that all about? Was that logical? Was that a cycle that was broken and never going to be again? No. It was the fact that people were freaking out and wanted to get out. We end up in those situations of what we'll call, for lack of a better discussion word, overbought and oversold. Too hot. Too cold, overexpansion, recession. These are all parts of the cycle. And what we're seeing over the last few weeks is that this pain, this anxiety, this concern, this feeling like, oh, it's never going to get better. And if you think about where we were just a month ago, which was, it's never going to get any worse. This is always going to be what it is. We get caught up in these very strange moments in time. Forgetting that there are cycles that are there all the time. It's always there. This pain that may have alleviated itself over the last week when we saw that incredible run and rise from oversold conditions, a 7% run over a three or four day period for the NASDAQ, a lot of people are still in the, the pain. It's resonating and flowing over them. And for others, maybe it's just starting. And then there's another group that maybe doesn't have anything to do with any of the things that are getting pounced and trounced and punched and hurt and ripped apart. Down 20%, 25%, 30% in a day on earnings that missed and maybe seeing the fact that the, the the shine has come off some of this and they're just hanging out in either cash or maybe even in energy stocks or banks that aren't doing so poorly. And this issue of risk management is really important because you never should be, should be in a situation where you're in, let's just say it, over your head, in a position that you have to just get out at any cost whether it's a position of illiquidity, whether it's a position that you're on margin, whether it's a position that you have too much risk in your portfolio unbeknownst to you, because sometimes that happens. So I'm giving you a little bit of a buy here. Sometimes you don't exactly know how much risk you really are running in your portfolio, and that happens. And what happens to you when you're in those situations? All you want to do is get out. Get me out, get me out. Have the pain go away. Make it stop. Please, for God's sakes, make it stop. 
I can't deal with this anymore. Right? I mean, you've been there. Are you there now? Are you so thrilled it's the weekend when you first picked this up and listened? Because during the week, you just couldn't even function, focus, or even deal with anybody, looking at anybody straight in the face, or even admitting to the fact that maybe you made a mistake? If the pain that you have right now was brought on by yourself, if it's your doing, and then you're going to swear and plead and promise you're never going to do it again. If only you could just make it stop. If only just get me out of this, get me out of this somehow in reasonable shape. I'm never going to do it again. I know, I know, I know. And I know you know what I'm talking about. We've all been there. You've been there. Get me out. I can't take it anymore. And this conversation, it really could be a conversation that can be taken right out of the area of investing. It could be just decision-making. It could be relationships. And you know when you make a decision that may be suspect, especially into the, into the, into the teeth of better judgment. Or others are telling you, uh, maybe don't do it. And sometimes it pays to go with your gut. You know, if it doesn't feel right, smell right, taste right, sometimes it pays also to go with the crowd. And then there's other times that nothing pays. It's not your fault. Nothing you really could have done about it because, you know, this is the way the cycle works. That's not necessarily where we are. It's not a cop-out and it's not a rationalization that I want you to use. However, what it is, is something to think about. What is going on? Why are you in the position that you are in now? And that position could be either really good or really bad or somewhere in the middle. Because I don't know exactly what's going on. I will tell you because I know when the swell of email starts to come in from listeners that there's a lot of pain out there. And if you're one of them thinking, oh, yeah, Oh, yeah, that's me. Uh-huh. You need to start thinking about what you're going to do about it because I am ve- I'll venture out. I'll put a little bet on the table. It's not the first time that you've been here. I'm also going to suggest to you that unless you do something very different, it's not the last time you're going to be here. Right now, we want to figure out what the mistakes are what the things that you have done that have been beneficial. We want to find out, hey, you know what? Okay, I should have been in energy and energy stocks are higher. Or if I would have gone into cash by the end of 2021, all the things we look back on, oh my, only if only I should have, I could have, I would have. That's not the best process. Just like we talk about how hope is not the best strategy when it comes to investing. Look, I can tell you about investments not going the way you want. I, I, I Listen, I have been doing this job of investment management for decades now. I know that makes me sound really old. I'm young at heart. Not that old. I was doing it in my in my 20s, frankly. And there's a lot of disappointment that comes at times. Right now, for example, while, while our, our core equities in our trading strategy... And I start thinking about those while we have really good positioning. A lot of things are market related as I see it. 
what I would think and should and could be doing well and what could be just a better idea here or there. I could have maybe shorted this stock or hedged out a different way, but, 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 you know, I could kick myself or plead to make it stop and just get out, which may have been a good idea for a minute there. But also what about all the historical facts here? For example, think about a couple of weeks ago when markets started really coming down very significantly. It was the first real brush with the potential for a correction. And if, in fact, I would have looked at the portfolio right then and there and said, okay, what are we going to do from this point forward? You know what? I'm not going to take this anymore. We're not going to keep invested because, I don't know, we have a very, very short-sighted view of the positions that we have right now, for example. Uh, sell it all. Well, first of all, that would have gone against our, our core strategy. But let's say we did that. We would have missed out on an incredible rally over the next several days. What could you have done with your portfolio not to be down 10, 20, 30, 40% in the last several months? Yes, listen, you think I'm kidding about these numbers. There are plenty of people, and, and I have talked to them, and I've looked at their portfolios for the, they sent to me to review, and they call me and they ask me for help. Yeah, they're down, and they're down big, and I would venture to say a lot of you that are listening, that we're going with the Momo and the flavor of the week strategy, flavor of the year strategy last year, you're seeing that, oh my, things aren't that great. And sometimes like now, if you have a long-term positioning, you're going to take some lumps. The question is, when we peel back all the pieces of information that are presented to us, what does the future look like near-term, mid-term, and long-term? But how are you going to deal with all the things that are involved right now? How is your portfolio set up to deal with whatever may come at you, good or bad or indifferent? How are you diversified? What are you invested in? And I think the question right now that I really want you to focus in on is what are you investing for? You know, you could be looking at a stock or a mutual fund or an ETF or a bond or, I don't know, cryptocurrency. Pick, pick whatever you'd like. And you start looking at where it is that may be going. And the question remains, is your thesis about it from the research that you've done the same today as it was, let's say, a month ago. Now, I'll give you an example of something. You take a company, let's let's focus on Facebook. Let's just keep on really just driving this point home because it's one of the wi most widely held stocks that are that's out there. Facebook is held in just about every growth or growth and income ETF and mutual fund, in pension plans, in hedge funds, in ind individual portfolios is the thesis about what Facebook is going to do, could do in the future the same as it was a month ago? Well, clearly not. I mean, Facebook came out and told us they're going to have a much lower revenue and they're going to continue investing. And one of the reasons 
that they're going to have less revenue from advertising and more importantly, lower earnings. And they did take a, a hit on their MAUs, the monthly active users. So they're not signing up as many people. They're putting money back into the metaverse through their Reality Labs division. $10 billion, $10 billion was burnt or utilized or invested over the last year or so into their next ambition, which may or may not come to fruition as a moneymaker, but they are really pumping it hard. And that's one of the reasons why they missed and why they're giving such a downbeat overall guidance. Is the thesis of Facebook the same today as it was two months ago or six months ago? Probably not. What are you doing about that? The question then is, what about the longer term? So if you're near term on this investment, so you can write this down, you keep a, a notepad and put down the investment, ask these questions. What is my short-term, mid-term, and long-term outlook? Has that changed? And even do that, let's say, quarterly to see if there's any pattern developing. For example, if you go from a short-term positive to a mid-term positive and a long-term positive this quarter, and the next quarter you, you start looking at it and you say, well, you know, I'm, 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 I'm indecided or neutral on it midterm and short-term, but long-term I think it's great. And the next quarter comes along and all of a sudden you change the short-term negative, mid-term is still uh, negative uh, or, or neutral, and the long-term is good then maybe that's something you have to say, I'm in it for the long haul, or I'm going to close down part of this position and just hold a portion of it. You know, there's nothing wrong with holding a smaller position called sometimes a holding position, a watching position, a starter position, something just to be involved for the sake that if things do break the right way, you can get on the train and be there. Or better yet, maybe not starting out small, but maybe you had a larger position and you say, you know, I think that the risk over the short term is too much. I do like it for the long haul. I am going to cut down the position that I own. So there's two ways to look at it, right? One is the entry. What am I going to commit to this right now for the short term? And I'm not sure about things in the long term, maybe a partial position. Because if you're green lighted across the board on all of those, what do you have? Well, you have a good term of acknowledgement and confidence of the short-term, mid-term, and long-term. That being the case, well, if you're green-lighted across the board, the one thing you have to know about is the other factors like the markets themselves, the economy, et cetera. But here you are. You're in a situation where you're entering and you're saying, I'm not sure if I am confident. So you know you don't have to open with a full position. You could build into it. We've talked about this ad nauseum. You know what we call that? I'm going to give you a second on this. What do we call getting into position and building on it to ensure that either you pick it up at lower prices in the future, if something you're confident on, or you make sure that you have a time to get into it that you're comfortable with. You remember what that's called? Dollar cost averaging. Now we do that on multiple fronts for some of our portfolios. We enter slowly and very much with a process that is twofold time-based and opportunistically based. And that works out well for clients who are looking to get back in 
get in to something maybe they were not in for a while or something they're concerned about or scared of. These kinds of market conditions that we're seeing right now spooks the crap out of a lot of people. It makes them freak out, especially if you had a negative mindset to begin with. There's also those people that have a negative mindset about markets that they don't want to be involved, but they know, you know, it's one of the best ways to amass wealth, but they just can't bring themselves to do it. The dollar cost average approach, whether it's by individual stock or by utilizing ETFs and mutual funds in a diversified portfolio, et cetera, is probably one of the best ways to break that process and to get you positioned where you should be. That doesn't mean you have to be super aggressive. No, you could knock back the risk a bunch. So you could do three things. One, you can dollar cost average into a position that you think may be worthwhile or a portfolio that you want to be in. You could do it through both opportunistic and a time-based. And third, you could knock back and bring down the overall risk by having less exposure to certain areas that may have greater volatility and thus be able to sleep at night and handle any of the things that the markets throw at you, especially now. Because you do have to admit something. A couple of Mondays ago, while this may not be the low that we ever see, gave some unbelievable opportunities when it came to some individual names. We had a mini crash a couple of Mondays ago. And what happened was this dislocation that we saw was incredibly beneficial. So when you look at what you're doing and that question that I asked right before I went on the tangent about this diversification dollar cost averaging is what are you investing for? What is your purpose? That question, I think it's really interesting. And I ask that question to a lot of people when I talk to them. What are you investing for? What, what's, what's the purpose of all this? What are you doing? Why? Do you have something in mind? I mean, why the heck are you even listening to this podcast right now? What is the point of listening right now if you don't have a purpose in all this? Are we just killing time? Is something you found? You're like, eh, I like that guy's voice. Or you know what? He knows the hell out of me so much. Keeps me on my toes. Or he's great to fall asleep by. Whatever the reason is, all right, fine. You must have an investing purpose for listening, for, for investing itself. I know, I know that all this sounds a little bit weird to some of you, but you really should be considering that some people are really investing for other reasons. In fact, I'll go so far as saying they're not even investing for investing purposes. They're doing it for the, the drive, the spark, that feeling. You know what that's called? It's called gambling. What they're doing is gambling. And which is a different sport altogether. In the genre of investing, yes, we can call speculation a part of investing. Gambling, while it's slightly different than speculation, is different. But it's big enough. And you know it when you see it. You know it when you know it. Are you just throwing money out there saying, oh, you know, I think that's a good idea and I think I'll just put the money in there and I don't care about my money. It's all about whether or not you care about your money. And we hit on that a bit last week. 
I don't mind speculation and looking for opportunities for long-term or even mid-term or short-term gains. Big difference about just gambling on something that's a binary outcome that's absolute. That can work sometimes as a part and very small part, but that is not the core investment process that you should be living by. So with all that discussion as a backdrop of what we're talking about, what's your risk management plan? You need to know what you're investing for. Make that a reality first. Spend a little time, write it down, cross it out, write it down again. Talk with your spouse, talk with your friends. What am I doing this for? Is it for just retirement? Is it for the fun of it? Is it for the opportunity? Is it for financial security, independence? What is it that I am doing this for? Once you really get a handle on that, everything is going to fall into place. Without that, it's not. Without that, you're going to make mistakes. Without that, you're going to be gambling. And you need to stop. And when you think about your risk management plan and what you're doing this for and how much am I going to allow myself to lose in the markets in general without a plan, You have to stop for a second and say to yourself, all right, I'm not talking about just this particular correction. I'm talking about along the way. What happens once we get past this, the, oh, just get me out of this. And somehow you either, you either cash out or you somehow slide by, deal with it. And eventually, as things cycle, as we told you they do, and I told you that you can see this in the economy and in the markets, et cetera, and we have a break eventually, and things that you're invested in, and you get back on your feet and things do well, how are you going to deal with this in the future? Make it a plan for all times. I told you a little bit about the way that we do it, right? I've told you about the flower garden. I've told you about the lobster trap. I told you about one foot in and one foot out, all the different strategies and psychological means that we utilize for me, frankly, to help my clients and for my clients to help themselves and to help you. I know you remember about all these things. Sometimes you get stuck along the way, though, and you need a little bit of a refresher. And I know the last few months, I've been spending a lot of time on this, trying to really make sure that you understand and follow along a game plan that is really in your best interests. Because if you don't have a plan, if you don't know why you're doing this, if there's no risk management involved in what you're doing, and that doesn't mean, risk management doesn't mean that you're not going to lose any money. You may lose money and plenty of it. But you know, there's a difference in risk management between making mistakes, having a problem, and being stupid. And sometimes you can be a little stupid in your portfolio. It's okay. A little something. You went out on a limb on something, and you're kind of like, you know what? I think that mm, uh, I'm holding that. Even though it's down a lot, I, I like it. I'm holding it. Okay. But when you talk about something that's the majority of your portfolio, where you have a stock that's 80% with, 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 with um, a 25% drawdown, oh, 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 not good, right? You know, it reminds me let, me, let me tell you a story. There was a situation, you know, ARK, a, a, the, the um, ARKK. ARKK was, uh, is the Kathy Wood 
Poster child of uh, the agony of defeat and, of course, the uh, the win of the year, both sides. So I get a call. Not one, but I get several different people that call me that really love ARC, right? They, they love ARC. They have invested last year. They're doing so well. Oh, my God. This is only going to go up forever. I mean, why not? It's up 150%. One year. Why can't it be another 200% next year? This is going to go on forever and ever. The ARC Innovation Fund. I love what she's doing. The transparency, blah, 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 blah. And more blah, 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 blah. Okay? There's a lot of stuff that people were hanging their hats on way back then. And I don't know why, but maybe because my book is sitting right here on my studio table. Somehow I'm going to do a quick jaunt to the left and stop for a second. Because I just remembered that I want to talk about this, and I don't want the whole show to go by before I... Uh, I'm sorry. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ruin my train of thought, and I'm going to screw you up a little bit, but I'm going to mention this. And I was going to set this up more formally, but the hell with it. Let's just get it out there. I want to give away some books because we talk about a lot of that. The Discipline Investor, Essential Strategies for Success. I have some yeah, regular book, right? The Audible's still on sale at, at audible.com and through Amazon, et cetera. But if you want the actual book, book itself, you know, one of those old-fashioned things where you turn the page. <laughs> all new clients and all strategy. If you come over as a new client in the month of February, I think we did this a couple of years back. If you come over as a new client in the month of February, I'm going to send you an old-fashioned copy of my book signed. So there's some incentive for you to start making a good movement into a healthy situation. So you get a copy of the Discipline Investor book that goes through the flower garden, goes through diversification. It talks about how to understand fundamentals and technical analysis. It touches on the core things that you need to understand in, in, in order to even talk the talk. Whether you do it yourself, you have somebody else do it, it gives you all the things that you need to have in order to make sure you make good decisions and understand the decisions that are being made. Back to left turn what we were talking about, and I was wandering in this discussion about ARC, right? I was talking about ARC and these calls that I got about how great ARC was and is. And I want to tell you about this one call that I got from a prospective client. And in this case, they owned ARC funds and a few of them, and they were selling puts against it. And they were very much underwater. The idea was that, hey, they own the company shares, you know, ARK uh, Innovation Fund, ARKK, and it was really dipping down very substantially. But, you know, they had a great opportunity to see that there's something in it that they like and they thought it would be great. And you know what? This is all going to straighten out. And why not try to buy it down, sell some puts, which is a pretty aggressive approach. And you know what? The worst comes to worst. What's going to happen is we're going to have a situation where we have the um, – the fund that we have to buy, we buy into it. So maybe we buy it down $10 from here and that would be great. Okay, okay. But they also were freaking out at the same time. So there was this kind of discussion on one side that it was uh, all these great opportunities and all this great situation. On the other side was, oh my God, I'm really underwater. I'm freaking out. I'm losing a lot of money but I'm willing to lose even more money somehow to sort of recoup the money that I'm losing so I can get back to even. And once I get back to even, you know what they're going to do? 
I'm going to get out. Once I get back to even, somehow, some way, I am going to get out. Because the thought of it going lower never really crossed their mind. That happens. It's, it's very natural. So if you're thinking I'm talking about you, probably not. But you know what I'm talking about. What's interesting is that prices kept going down. And there really were no opportunities to get out. The good news is that eventually the accounts came over to us. We were able to clean things up and we were able to sell most of the ARC funds a couple of few months ago, right before the major collapse, because that would have been very detrimental. Now, where was this wrong? Where was the buying of ARC funds a problem? Why was it a problem? Why was there the loss that was unbearable that you had to get yourself even deeper potentially into to rescue yourself? How did that come into play? Now, for some, this this positioning could have been fine. But in this case, it was all about the concentration of risk in this specific circumstance. What happened was even though there was a diversification of names inside of the portfolios, the concentration in there really wasn't diversified. There was some diversification, but it was really still technology and, and the like, right? So here we are in a situation where you're underwater, you're concentrated, you keep on buying more and more, and even buying other funds within the family pretty much did the same thing. And this is why, this is exactly why Funds and ETFs are a requirement for two of our three client portfolio strategies. The fact is when you spread the risk, you know, that don't keep all your eggs in one basket. That's what I'm talking about. When you spread the risk, you're not immune by any means. But the odds change a bit. And this is an item that we really should be looking at. Something that has been an issue when it comes to, say, mutual fund and client holdings for a long period of time. I remember going back years ago and there was this name wrapper problem. I'm not talking about the rapper that sings songs. I'm talking about the, the outer naming convention of mutual funds we discovered some time ago. We were looking at this years and years ago. So I just want to bring you up to date and, and explain this to you because I think it's very pertinent to some of the things that are going on today, different, but yet pertinent. We were looking at mutual funds back then, and there was names like the XYZ Growth Fund, the Growth and Income Fund, the ABC Large Cap Fund, the YYY Equity Income Fund. And we looked at these and we tracked all the things that we were doing and looked at these for client portfolios. And when we started looking at these and wanted to understand why with several funds which they thought were very diversified, they were getting the same kind of returns and why their portfolios weren't doing so well and why, in fact, they were taking a big hit when they thought they had diversification. We looked deeper and we found one of the culprits. Even as there were different names and headlines on the various funds, when we looked closer at the holdings, do you know what we found? We found that there were essentially the same 
holdings in the top spots of each. So the headline and the name and the wrapper had nothing sometimes to do with what the holdings were. That was a big problem back then. That was an enormous problem back then. Because what we saw back then was a situation where we would have names of the investments that were like small cap funds, but they'd have large cap stocks in there. That was been, been dealt with to a degree. Really don't have that situation as badly anymore. There's still a little bit of that. But there is still a good amount of that going on from a, we'll say, a holding standpoint. Again, once again, I'm going to pick on the situation that happened this week with Facebook. That's exactly what the situation was and why we saw such a big problem. Because people look at the performance and chase performance so many times. And usually what we're seeing is this, this passive management where we have market capitalization. I told you one day this is going to hurt. I told you this a thousand times. We never knew exactly when, but someday this is going to come home to roost where these funds start amassing more and more of these big mega cap names because they're capital uh, market cap weighted. And when they fall, it's ugly. So what's happening now is that much of the overlap that we're seeing is because, well, there's no originality. There's not a lot of diversification because everybody was holding on to what everybody said was the right thing to hold on to. And I tell you this because when markets change complexion, we need to revisit our holdings with a different eye and making sure we're, we're looking at this in such a way that it's not the same as we did a year ago, where back then you could be a bit more easygoing and skip a step or two or maybe in the roaring but bullish market, it didn't really matter. Not so much when the markets are puking. <laughs> Not at all. What we need to do is a cross-asset check of your holdings and be careful not to have too much concentration risk or sometimes called overlap. Concentration risk can either make you great wealth or great poverty. And the lesson for today that I want you to take away from this is when assessing your risk, what does the concentration look like and how are you going to avoid it? Just look how concentrated all these index funds are right now and the large cap growth funds and how much they have in Facebook and Google and Microsoft and, and Amazon. And look what goes on when everybody's on one side of the boat where 90% of the analysts out there had buy ratings on Facebook. Nobody had any, it was two or three out of the 40 that had a sell rating. I think that right now it's really important to talk about this and to talk about how concentration risk is both the, the incredible, creates incredible opportunity and can be your Achilles heel. And if you're comfortable with it, well, that's fine. But if not, what are you going to do about it? So we talk about making sure that your funds have true diversification, limited overlap, and watch that concentration, Right. We talk about the risk management and more importantly, wrapping this all up, what are you investing for? Those are the things you need to be thinking about. Now, I think just for a moment to back up and to really 
put a put a light onto something here and kind of shine it on what's going on. Listen, to start the year, I saw some risk. I saw some risk on the horizon. I always look at all the different components, and there's always some risk. There's always some headline issue or there's some potential headwind that's out there. And what I try to do is set up portfolios for what I consider a questionable outlook, but yet we really, everything that we saw over the last six months was, you know, this is bad, but okay, portfolios can tolerate it. Rates are going up. Inflation is high, but okay, stocks are resilient. So, okay, good so far, right? We've been a little light on the growth side or the technology side for clients in our diversified portfolios, for our global allocations and investology. So far, so good. Things are okay. We decided to add some emerging market and some um, equities and bonds on both. Still okay. So that was where we kind of pushed new money into. Now, we looked at the tenor, and I specifically spent time looking at the markets and investors, and I cleaned up some of the positions in a more aggressive trading strategy and used a larger position of cash as what I called a buffer, a buffer hedge, different than just a hedge for the portfolios. As for the last, however long I can remember, in the last six months, hedging and shorting had been very unproductive. And I said, you know, we'll revisit that if needed and come up with maybe what way we'll deal with that because what has happened is things move so fast. Think about it just last week. Last week we went, or two weeks ago, we went into a market that was in a downstroke. It ended the week after massive volatility, flat, and then we started this week on a major ups, upswing. Hedging, unless you were absolutely right on every tick, would have done no benefit for you. Or been difficult. Very difficult. The speed and the ferocity of the move that we saw through the through the last few weeks have been pretty impressive. And it was the first few drawdowns. Okay, you know, well, the fundamentals were good. Investors are still looking past everything. Still low rates and prospect of maybe some heights and lots of occurrences of whipsaw action. Okay. Keeping away from the broad base shorts for the time being, we're going to use the buffer. That was kind of the, the way we designed, the way I kind of came up with, okay, this is we're going to have, how we're going to manage right now. Well, that was an interesting plan. Not so productive. And here's why I'm telling you this. You know this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Markets right now are hard. Again, you probably know that. Really hard. <laughs> One moment, the Dow Jones is up 250, then moves down 250. Cryptocurrency seems to be even less volatile than that, but moving around. We have seen multi-year moves in some names just in a matter of weeks, and in some cases, in a matter of days. That is unsettling for anyone that is investing. And again, I'm like I told you in the beginning, I'm sure that you sometimes are saying out loud, make it stop, make it stop. Oh my God, let's just get out of this. And then what happens is you make the move when it hurts the most, which is oftentimes the worst time to do it. Ask yourself once again, do you have any thought about risk management? 
Did you look at your overlap and your concentration risk? How about your confirmation bias where you just read and study those that confirm your own thoughts? I'm still of the camp that there are great opportunities in certain names, and I am pretty much going to hold on to that until I see otherwise. I believe that the Fed is going to be unsuccessful in raising rates five, six, seven times this year. They will try and they will move things up, but I believe they're going to be unsuccessful. If we take energy costs, if, if, if we take energy costs out of the inflation calculation, I think the very nature of them talking down the markets is going to actually tighten financial conditions. And then what's going to happen is we're going to calm down a little bit. And they're going to be a little bit easier on the absolute stop of uh, quantitative easing or quantitative tightening. They're going to kind of slow the roll there. What about home country bias that you may have as well? Are you just focused on investing primarily within the United States? In the U.S. sectors? In technology because you know it? Just companies that you know? Or are you thinking that, you know, valuations have been a lot better overseas. We've had... A lot of conversations about this. There's places around the world that are actually stimulating. China is actually pushing stimulus into the economy right now where the UK is. What are they doing? Well, they're raising rates and they're talking about another one. We're seeing that the Eurozone kind of came out this week and said, well, we don't think we're going to be raising rates in 2022, but it's possible. And the Fed, we know what they're doing. All these things are having an impact on your portfolio. The question is how much? And how much more of this do you want to take? How much more of this can you take? Should you take? Are you willing to take because of the way that you're structured right now in a time that may be slightly different? I'm not saying this time is different. We did see part of a V rally. Are we going to get to all-time highs again? Well, I can tell you without the big players like a Facebook pulling the weight in terms of earnings, it's going to be a hard grind. On the other hand, we see Google with a great number. Apple, reasonably no, reasonable number. Microsoft doing great. Hmm. Maybe, just maybe, there's still a lot of gas left in there. Tax rates are low. Their balance sheets are looking good. They're doing the share buybacks. There's a lot of good things out there as well, although we are cycling from an economic standpoint. This week, I want you to think about all these items. And again, first and foremost, Ask yourself, what am I investing for? That will give you the blank canvas and the proper map to start thinking about all the other things that you're doing to make sure that you're lined up. So then when you ask the question of yourself, should I invest in this stock or this fund? Does it fit my portfolio more so? What am I investing for? Is it short-term profits? Is it long-term retirement? Is it college funding? Does that fit? with the big picture of what I'm trying to do and how does this fit into my entire portfolio and how does it work from a concentration and overlap risk standpoint? All those things are easily answered when you have the first question answered to begin with. I hope that helps. I hope that helps. I want to make sure that you know you can go over to the disciplinedinvestor.com and you can, uh, of course, ask any questions you like. We have a few of them that I'm going to bang through very quickly that I just brought to the top that I thought were of interest here. But when you go over to the disciplinedinvestor.com, you go to the Ask Andrew button, click on that and ask away. You could also 
ask me to get in touch that way. And there's plenty of information about all of our strategies. Very simple, very basic, easy to understand on that site as well. So you have a good way of understanding it. First one comes from Chris, our listener question. (laughs) This is about a week or so old. He said, what the hell happened on Monday? Now, we talked about that big reversal where a 1,000 points down, and one of the things we saw was a capitulation by a lot of people that were saying, the hell with it, I'm out, what we talked about on the show today. The idea of just get me out, I don't care what I price I pay or what I get for it, just get me the hell out. That's what happened a couple of Mondays ago when the Dow Jones Industrial Average down about 1,100 points and then it reversed up higher. People saying, wow, wait a minute. We've had multiple days down here. Now, all of a sudden, we get this capitulation move, this get out at all cost, at any cost, at any price, and people started buying and a short squeeze ensued. So we're oversold into a situation where we saw capitulation, and those oftentimes, those psychological moments are oftentimes some of the best to make profits. Uh, next question comes from Nando, and he has three questions, but I, I think that um, we'll answer... Uh, Just one of them here. Uh, The first one is, how much percentage would you give to stimulus QE and supply chain disruption for being the cause of higher CPI? Uh, 50-50, more, less, what do you think? Or perhaps 100%. I think the, uh, this kind of reverses around a little bit. Uh, I'm not going to blame the stimulus. We know that that was a way to keep people from starving, from being thrown out on the street, from not having enough to pay their bills from the economy, from total collapse. But yes, that did in fact create a lot of excess money because there was too much that was put into the system because God forbid anybody should suffer for five minutes, which I don't want anybody to suffer. I don't want to suffer. I don't want you to suffer, but I'm just saying the government went a little bit above and beyond to a degree that caused too much money in the system. And yes, the other problem that we had was this shutdown and start up. You shut down factories, you close off orders, and then all of a sudden you start back up. Things get weird in a just-in-time manufacturing and fulfillment type of world. So what happened is I'm going to say that because of the pandemic, I know this is not what you want to hear. You want blame, and there's a lot to go around. There's no question there's a lot to go around. But I think that the supply chain disruption is a huge part of higher CPI because people are paying more across all levels of of inability to get things. I blew a tire last week. I went over a pothole, tire blew. I went over the place. I'm like, I'd like to get a tire. They're like, sorry. I'm like, what do you mean? The tire that you have in this car is a nationwide back order. In fact, it's pretty difficult to get tires. I'm like, okay, what, what do I do? Well, you could use the spare for couple months till maybe we get something. I'm like, no, 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 no. How about a different brand? Different? Yes, we have a matching one. It'll be perfect for your car. The size, it's all of it. It's great tire. It's $479. It's about the price of the other tires would have been anyway. Installed. Each tire, you need to match them up on both sides. 1100 bucks later, I got two tires. Point is, prices have gone up. Point is, manufacturing is a big problem because we really focused and concentrated our efforts in certain areas around the world, and that caused a problem. Um, Next question, let's see this here. 
This is from Lloyd. He says, what is the significance of the 20-year U.S. Treasury interest rate being higher than the 30-year? Well, that's not the case, but okay, if it was. This has been the case uh, since early 2021. I don't think so. Um, but it's happening in, oh, in, oh yeah, in UK, China, Canada. Canada. Everyone talk about the significance um, of the 2 and 10s and the 5 and 30s. So when you start seeing the inverted curve at any points along the way, that's because there's some potential problems coming down the road that is being priced into the markets. We're seeing possible rate hikes. We're seeing the fact that maybe what we're seeing is if rates are um, lower on the 20, that there is the potential for a government that is buying those bonds and focusing their efforts there. Some people are saying that longer term is a problem. Short term are okay. It just says a lot about the tenor of what's happening in markets, usually you don't see that that often. 20, 30-year spread, I'm not exactly sure if I would consider that too much of a problem, depending on how much that spread is. But in a world that we have some markets that have negative interest rates, that is really the question and the, the thing to ponder of how insane is that? Negative interest rates. Negative interest rates on bonds. It's bad enough you can get point, only 1.1%. On a, on a treasury, 0.5, We're talking about negative 0.5. You got to pay. You got to pay to have the pleasure of owning those bonds. Now, what a bad deal that is. I answer the rest of your emails. Thank you directly by email. I just want to throw a few of those out because I think they were important to kind of get to. Uh, if you have a question, send them on to me. If you want to work with me, come on, let's do it. I want to bid you adieu this wonderful first week of February 2022, where Punk Sahani Phil said six more weeks of winter. <laughs> well, we'll deal with it. We'll deal with this. We'll deal with the markets. Hopefully it's not six more weeks of winter of the markets. Make sure you follow all the things that I talked about this week. We'll have notes on the Disciplined Investor on episode number 752. Thank you so much for joining me today. And every week, make sure to tell your friends, your relatives, make sure you get people listening in. Become a disciplined investor. Thanks so much. I'll see you soon. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training.